Take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 7 this morning. And as you uh, take a look at this passage, you're going to recognize those words that we just sang that Michael Redmond put to music. Uh, Matt Redmond, excuse me, put to music. There is a beautiful um, expression of this passage of Scripture. And Pastor Dan read part of it for us earlier, but I'd like us to look at it again. Let me read this for us as we begin. Scripture says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your scripture this morning, we ask again that you would, by your Holy Spirit, teach us. Show us, Lord, what it is that you want us to apply to our worship, maybe areas where we need to change and grow or something new that you want us to do as a practice in our life. You delight in your children coming to you in worship. You give us instruction on how we should do it and what it is all about and how we should prepare our hearts. So today as we listen, would you guide us and give us a word that we need to hear on worship this morning. Amen. I want to begin this morning by showing you a little gadget that I uh, bought before our trip out west. You know, guys like gadgets, and this is one of those things that I wanted to take on our trip. Uh, I was going to joke with Dan that it's a rather large stopwatch, and I was timing him this morning, but, you know, then Dan might be timing me, too, on the message as well. But really what this is, is this is an altimeter. It measures elevation. And when we were going on our trip out west in the mountains, I wanted to, I was just curious. I wanted to know kind of where we are at because you know, can feel the difference in your body when you're at 8,000 or 10,000 or even 12,000 feet and you can feel the shortness of breath. But it's all subjective. So I thought, well, it'd be kind of interesting. It wasn't too expensive. And so I picked it up and took it with us on our trip. What I didn't know until I began to use it, though, is that in order for it to give you an accurate read, it really needs to be reset to a fixed point every day. Because things affect it. This is affected by atmospheric pressure, by storms, by weather that comes in. So if you have a storm coming in and the barometric pressure drops, it's going to affect the reading on this. If you have a high-pressure system and clear skies, it's going to change the reading. And so it needs to be set to a fixed point every day in order to be accurate. The more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, we're kind of like that as people, aren't we? Things affect us. Storms in our life. You know, there are good days that we have and there are bad days. There's days when you come home from work and you're maybe a little bit grumpy because things didn't go quite so well. 
Another day, maybe things went great and smoothly and you're just coming home and you're feeling really good. Maybe it's a relationship issue that you're struggling with. Maybe it's just the news. Everything you heard in the news today was down. Or it wasn't good and that's affected your mood and your spirit. How do we reset ourselves? What's that fixed point for us? And how do we do that in order to check our attitude or renew our heart and mind? Well, that's where worship comes in. In fact, I would say that one of the best things we can do or one of the keys to a well-ordered life is God-centered worship. And we see that here in this book in Ecclesiastes. It's really interesting to me as I read through this book. The writer of Scripture here has made all kinds of observations about life. And he writes from the perspective of under the sun and the sense of the natural man and how it looks. And he sees people in life, you know, and they're trying to find out what's this all about. How do we find meaning and purpose in life? And they're trying to find it through education or through owning more and more stuff or things or through building projects and great accomplishments and tasks or through pleasure and gardens and beauty and art and music. Whatever it may be, they're trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And yet he calls it, it's like striving after the wind if you don't know God. He looks at our world and he looks at the places like a court system where there should be justice. And sometimes there's injustice. And sometimes it seems like those who have money get ahead of those who don't. He looks at our world and he sees people who maybe strive all their life to save up for retirement and then before they even get there, they die. What's that all about? Or he looks at the oppression in our world. There are good governments in our world and there are governments that are really tyrannical. And he sees what people live under and the hardship and oppression they feel and that's just not right. And all of those things affect his spirit too. And as he's trucking along in this book, going through and making those observations on life, right smack in the middle in chapter 5 verses 1 to 7 is this beautiful little section on worship. It's like it's time to reorient the compass. It's time to reset our mind, our heart, to what really matters. Let's come into the presence of God. So in this passage, the writer of Ecclesiastes shares several thoughts that are good for us to remember when we come to God in worship. And that's what I want to walk through this morning. Number one, he reminds us that worship is dangerous. Do you ever think about that? Maybe that's not a word that you would associate with worship. But worship is dangerous. We are coming into the presence of a holy God. And so the very first thing that he says here about worship is guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, if you were telling somebody about your church and wanting to invite them to come, you know, and uh, come to our church and worship with us, that's probably not the very first thing you're going to say. Oh, by the way, be careful when you come there. This is dangerous when you enter through those doors. Worship should come with a warning. And I thought about that this morning. I thought about posting this sign outside the sanctuary. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, your shoes, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. That's the reason behind the practice in some cultures of taking off their shoes before they enter a place of worship. It's a reminder of who we're coming before, the God of all the earth. 
the God who is holy and awesome, majestic and powerful. That's the God that we're meeting with today when we come into His presence. And He intends that our time with Him should be life-changing. It's not safe. It's not comfortable when we come before God because He expects something of us. He demands something of us in terms of our attitude, our heart, and our life. Do you know that people have died in worship? Literally? I mean, think about that in the Scriptures. There's a story of Nadab and Abihu. They were two of Aaron's sons. Aaron was the high priest. And two of his sons came one day. And they came before the Lord and they offered unauthorized or unholy fire before the Lord. And they died. There's a story of 70 men from Beth Shemesh when the ark of God was brought to their city. They looked into the ark. And they died. Maybe they were just curious. You know, well, let's see what's in here. Let's open this box. And they treated it irreverently. Because that was the very presence of God. And they were struck down and they died. You can see it too with Uzzah. When the ark was being moved to Jerusalem by King David, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark when the oxen stumbled. He didn't want that ark of the covenant falling off. And yet he was not a Levite. He was not one of those who were given the duty of moving the Ark of the Covenant. And because of that, he died. Even Uzziah, the king of Judah, was struck with leprosy when he entered the temple of the Lord to offer incense on the altar, to do something only the priests could do. And they warned him, they warned him to not do this, to leave the temple of the Lord. But he persisted. And he was struck with leprosy and he had to be taken out of the temple. And he lived as a leper for the rest of his life because of his arrogance in approaching God. When we come before God, we need to remember who He is, that our God is holy. Even the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says that our God is a consuming fire. So let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's the starting point. Secondly, the Scripture says when we come to God and worship, we should speak less and listen more. He says go, to, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. He's talking about the difference in attitude here between those who are wise when they come before God and those who are foolish. And he tells us that when we come before God, we should go near to listen. We should give priority to the Word of God in our life. That's why the preaching or reading and studying the Scripture is such a significant part of our worship services. It's a time when we come to listen. What is it that God is saying to each one of us? What is it that He wants us to do in response to this message? And we are to give priority to Him. The foolish person is the one who comes to worship to simply perform the rituals without ever intending to change their life. You know, they come to God and worship. They go to church. They figure it's kind of, okay, I'll put in my time. I'll just do this. They kind of wait for it to get over. Maybe even check the watch now and then. And it's like their heart and their mind isn't here at all. 
They're just going through the motions of worship, but they have no intention of ever living according to God's Word. And God says, they're a fool. And they do not even know that they do wrong when that's their hard attitude. In contrast, he tells us that the wise person comes before God with careful attention. They come wanting to listen. They come with humility in their heart. They are humble and they are teachable and they are willing to learn and it makes a huge difference. I've seen that in the lives of people who come to church. I've seen those that are eager to learn and want to grow in their relationship with God and God just blesses them. And you can see their hearts and their lives changed by the power and authority of the Word. And I've seen other people who come to church and you can almost see all the heel marks on the carpet as they're coming in. You know, it's like they really don't want to be here. There's a resistance. They can almost defy you to teach me anything because their heart isn't right with God. The Bible also says that there is a place for silence in our worship of God. It's good for us to sit in silence before the Lord and listen to Him whether it is a part of our corporate worship or our own personal devotional times, our quiet times before the Lord, where we may read the Scripture and then we quiet our hearts and we think about what God has said in His Word. In Psalm 46.10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all the earth. The words to be still mean to cease striving. It means to slow down, to come before God again quietly and reverently. Life is busy. It's sometimes hard for us to slow down. We've got a lot of things to do. Especially I think the younger you are, the more you tend to fill up your days and your time with activity and just want to be on the go and moving all the time. And God says, I want you to be still and I want you to know that I am God. And slow down so that you can hear me speak. I think of a family where a couple was going to go on a a time away as a couple and so they were leaving their kids with uh, a sister and a brother-in-law. And so here's this little guy, he's an elementary age kid, you know, and he's being dropped off at his aunt and uncle's house. The problem was that for those two families, their lifestyles were kind of different. And in the one family, the TV was on almost all the time. There was always background noise in the house and a lot of activity. And in the other family, they didn't even have a TV in their house. Dropped off the little guy. The first thing he's looking for is kind of the TV set. And for two days, it was like going through withdrawal and the shakes. You know, just what do you do? As they sat down and they would read to him and they would talk, it was a time to kind of unplug from all of the noise and activity of life. It's not easy for us if we're prone to that. If we're used to having the TV on all the time or the radio or the iPod or the cell phone and we've got all of those gadgets and things we're plugged into, when does God have a time to speak to us? When is that time when we are silent in His presence? It's a good discipline to practice. I have really enjoyed those times when I have gone on a prayer retreat and going away to a prayer cabin over a wilderness fellowship or someplace like that where I can simply be alone with God. And when I unroll the sleeping bag and set my things out and get my Bible out and my notebook, I feel like for three days, God's my roommate. It's just you and me, Lord. 
And what is it that you want to say to me? And it takes me a good half day to unwind and unplug often as I'm getting away from all of the responsibility and activity to simply quiet my heart and say, Okay, God, what do you have to say to me today? We need those times daily, weekly, seasonally in our life when we are reorienting ourselves to the compass, to what is true and lasting and eternal in life. Thirdly, the Scripture says that worship requires our full attention. We see that in verses 2 and 3. He says, Do not be quick with your mouth and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God because God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. And as a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. And again in verse 7, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Now how does that apply to worship? What is he saying? Well, I think there's a couple things here too for us to listen to. When he says that much dreaming and many words are meaningless, he knows our tendency for our mind to wander. And he's saying when you come to worship, don't daydream. Give God your full attention. It's easy for the mind to wander. Derek Kidner talked about this passage and he said, The dreams appear to be daydreams, reducing worship to verbal doodling, speaking without thinking, going through the motions, but our mind is somewhere else. And I know how that can be. It takes discipline, both in our quiet time and in our worship services. There are times when you will be listening and follow along and then something will come to mind that you have to do later and it's like the mind goes off. And I know that in my own quiet times too. There are many times when I'm sitting down to meet with the Lord and then I'm thinking about everything I have to do that day. And the mind wanders. And it takes discipline to come back and say, Lord, help me to hear you today. Help me to listen to what you want to say. And he's saying that we are to do that in worship. When we come before God, we're to think about the songs that we are singing. The words that we are singing. Are they a prayer from our heart? Think about the prayers that are offered. Do you agree and do you join in and say, Amen, Lord. When you hear the Scripture, does it resonate as truth in your heart and you agree with it? When you think about the message and what's being said, are you taking notes in your mind or on paper even? And saying, Lord, that was a good word. That's something that I need to do and work on in my life. Give God your full attention. And he also says when we come to worship, don't fill the air with meaningless words. Don't be a chatterbox in worship. You know, Jesus may have had these verses in mind when he told the story about the two men who went to the temple to pray. And the one thought he was so good and great and he prayed at length about himself and all the good things that he was doing. Just filling the air with words. And the other man came humbly before God and he simply said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus, I tell you that that man went home justified before God and not the other. When we come before God, what matters most is the attitude of our heart. Jesus said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. It's not chanting. It's not vain repetition. It's not many words in our worship that count with God. It's the heart attitude more than anything else. 
Do you love God more than anything else? Do you worship Him? Are you glad to be here because it fills your soul? It challenges you. It encourages you. It reminds you of those things that are really important in life. Fourthly, worship calls for a response on our part. It is appropriate for us to respond to God in worship. We do that at the end of our services, usually with a a song that kind of ties together what we are talking about. But it's also good and right for us to make those notes or observation in our life that say, God, I want to do that. I need to work at this. I want to follow you more closely in this area of my life. And we make some kind of application. Because worship should be life-changing. But he also reminds us here that when we make a vow to God, we need to keep it. Look at verses 4 to 6. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. In fact, it is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, you know, my vow was a mistake. Like, I really didn't mean that. For why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? You see, what he was talking about there was this practice of vows that were made in the temple. They were a common part of worship in the Old Testament. They were a promise to do or to give something to God in return for an answer to prayer. It was fully appropriate. It wasn't required. It wasn't mandatory. It was totally voluntary. But if God had answered your prayer and you were grateful for that, there were many times when people would bring a thank offering to the Lord or something that they would give as a praise to God for His goodness in their life. The problem was that some began to use them to bargain with God, just like people can do today. You know, it's like, God, if you'll get me out of this jam, you know, then I'll go to church every day for the next year. Or, you know, God, if you will heal me, I'll give to you this large gift I'll give to the church. Or, God, if you'll just do this one thing for me, then I promise that I will change in this other area. And people would make those kind of bargains with God. If you make a promise to God, you better keep it. In fact, don't make a promise to God that you don't intend to keep. Because God takes those promises very seriously. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? When the early church was formed and coming together in Jerusalem, there were those who were selling their property and giving the proceeds to the church to distribute to those who had need. And they showed their love for God and their love for one another by being generous with what they had. It wasn't required It was voluntary. It was a sacrifice on their part, but they were doing it freely. And then along came Ananias and Sapphira, who saw what was going on, and they said that they were going to do the same. They had some property that they were going to sell, and they were going to give it all to God. But they didn't do that. They kept some of it back for themselves. They lied to God. And that was revealed to Peter. And they were confronted. And when they were confronted and admitted their sin, God took their life. They died there in the presence of God. It was a strong, strong illustration of how seriously God takes the promises that we make. 
And Peter confronted them. He said, you know, when you sold that property, that money was fully at your disposal to do whatever you wanted to do. They didn't have to give it all to God. They could have given a tithe on that. They could have given 50%. They could have said that. The problem was that they lied to God. They said they were going to do, they were going to give it all when they had no intention to do that. And it was hypocrisy, and God judged them for that. God takes our promises very seriously, too. A promise that's made in marriage, the vows that we make to one another, when we stand before God and before our friends and our relatives and we make a promise, God is in that and He takes that seriously. When we are involved in the parent-child dedication and we stand up here and we say that we as a parent want to be an example to our children, a one who knows Jesus Christ, we want to bring them to church so that they might grow in their understanding of who He is. God takes that commitment as a parent very seriously. When we are baptized and we make a profession of our faith in Jesus Christ and share our desire to live for Him, that is honoring to God, but God also takes that very seriously that we are now going to follow through on the commitment that we have made and live differently because we have been joined to Jesus Christ. When we make a pledge or a financial commitment to the church, or to missions. God takes that very seriously. You know, I think about when uh, Gail and I first went on staff. We weren't married at the time. We each raised our support. We didn't need a lot at that time. This will kind of date us. We only needed to raise about $700 for an individual to be on staff in terms of monthly commitment. But in that process, Gail had one donor who committed to give $100 a month. That was huge. You know, out of $700, I mean... You know, that's a lot of money. Yet the problem was that they never gave anything at all. And when recontacted, they made no reply. You know, that hurts. That hurts the work of missions. That hurts those who are on the field that need to raise additional support. That takes away from those other individuals that have given so that you can go because now it's going to take time away from that. And I think about that with our missionaries. You know, when we were on staff, we had to raise 6 to 8% for what was called attrition. Because honestly, there are times when people will just miss a month, and mostly that's unintentional. You know, people maybe just forgot or they misplaced the little, you know, return card and envelope and those kind of things. But think about that yourself. Would you like it if you missed one paycheck out of 12? <laughs> You know, if everybody did that and you're a missionary on the field and you're counting on that support, even a little bit missing can make a difference in their service and the time that they spend on that. God takes those commitments that we make very seriously and He wants us to be diligent. And this passage actually comes with a warning when it says, Why should God be angry at you and destroy the work of your hands? It may be that if you do not fulfill that obligation that you have made that God may require it of you in another area, and that gift that you didn't give, God takes away. Because I also know how He blesses those who give. And sometimes when people make those sacrificial commitments, God, in His own grace, makes the car run longer, provides for you in unexpected ways, or takes care of you so that you are able to fulfill those commitments. What a joy and blessing that is.
So finally, the writer of Ecclesiastes calls us to stand in awe of God and worship Him. We see that at the end of verse 7. Therefore, stand in awe of God. To stand in awe of God is to be amazed or to be astonished at who He is. There is also this sense of fear and trembling when we come into His presence. That sense of awe or amazement or astonishment is a little bit like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and trying to take it all in. You know, you, you stand there and your jaw just drops. I mean, how do you describe it? You can't put it into a picture. It's just not going to capture it all. How do you put it into words? It's too grand, too big, too huge. There are many things that can cause us to feel that sense of wonder and awe. It might be the beauty of a day up on the North Shore and looking out on Lake Superior. It might be just enjoying a day watching your kids play soccer on a beautiful sunny day. But those things that we enjoy are simply a part of creation. And if they can inspire in us a sense of awe and wonder, how much more the Creator of all of these things that we see. Psalm 89.7 says, In the counsel of the Holy Ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround Him. And in verse 8, He said, O Lord God Almighty, who is like You? You are mighty, O Lord, and Your faithfulness surrounds You. If God is feared in heaven by the angels, how much more awesome should He be to us? I mean, if we simply saw the presence of an angel, we would be overwhelmed by that. And yet God is far beyond those angels that He has created. Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. When we stand before God, there's no point hiding anything. God knows it all. We're there. Everything's open. It's an open book before Him. So be honest in your worship. Be honest in your confession. In fact, the word there to be laid bare is kind of an interesting one. It's the same word that was used in the offering up of sacrifices. When that priest would take that animal that was to be offered in a sacrifice and he would hold back its neck and the knife would be put to the throat. That's the idea of being laid bare. Now, I don't think the picture that God wants us to have in mind is God holding our neck back with a knife or a throat and saying, okay, now let's talk. You know, it's not that kind of, kind of picture that came to mind for me too. But instead, I think the picture that He wants us to have is that when we come before God, everything is out there. It's all exposed, so let's talk. And let's be humble in our attitude before Him. Let's be joyful in our praise and delighting in Him. Let's be true when it comes to the sin in our life and confess that to Him. And let's be willing to learn and to grow and to make the changes we need to to live a life that is more in line with the Scripture as we seek to realign that compass each and every day. When we come to worship, remember that worship is dangerous. This is holy ground that we have entered. Let's come to listen more and to speak less. Let's come to give God our full attention, especially to His Word. 
Let's remember that worship calls for a response on our part. We should be changed, but don't make a vow or a promise that you don't intend to keep. And when we come into His presence, let's stand in awe of God and worship Him. Let's pray. Father, these words are good words for us to hear today. They apply to our times of corporate worship, but they also apply to our individual times with You. And I pray that You would show each one of us what it is that You want us to do today in response to the message. Maybe we've been filling up the time with words and we need to listen more. Maybe we've been inconsistent in our quiet times. And you've been waiting to meet with us and we need to slow down and take time to be with you. Maybe in our worship we're not very prepared when we come and we're distracted by other things and instead we need to prepare our heart. Or maybe it's we need to work on the application and when you speak we need to listen. Lord, help us in these areas. You know our frailty, our humanness. Forgive us for our sin and help us to be a people who walk in obedience with you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.